Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Friday, September 16th, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to the show, everyone. We made it to the weekend. Can you believe it? We're halfway through September. We are just a few weeks away from Marijuana Election Night 2016. Make sure you join us here live on CannabisRadio.com. We'll be coming to you from Los Angeles, California, bringing you the live results of all the marijuana election news you need, the five states voting on legalization, four states voting on medical marijuana, and a whole bunch of cities and counties all throughout the legal uh, states and the medical marijuana states that have local initiatives to cover. So check it out, Cannabis Radio News coverage of Marijuana Election Night 2016. We are pretty excited about today's show because we've got a very special guest joining us at the uh, end of our first hour. Former Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura will be with us for an extended interview. We're going to take him all the way to 420, folks, to talk about his new book, Marijuana Manifesto. We'll talk about that. Plus, we'll get his take on some of the initiatives and politics in general from one of the most successful third-party candidates for governor uh, in our nation's history. So lots to talk about with Governor Ventura. I'll, I'll also be watching the chat room. So uh, if you've got questions that you'd like me to pose to the governor, let me know and I'll uh, be watching. Also coming up on today's show, before we get into the rest of the uh, preview, uh, some breaking news from my friend Tom Angel out there at uh, Marijuana Majority and Marijuana.com. Uh, the big Anti-pot marijuana money is coming in. The anti-initiative money is coming in. Sheldon Adelson, it's just breaking news uh, an hour ago, has donated another $1 million to the uh, campaign against medical marijuana in the state of Florida. So we got uh, another million from Sheldon. We got $1.3 million from that Julie Shower. We've got 800000 from the Publix heiress. Uh, this is going to be a battle, folks. This election is going to have a lot of ads running on the radio and the TV. Don't think this is in the bag. We got to work hard these next seven or so weeks to make sure we get legalization and medical marijuana passed throughout this country. All right. So the rest of the show today, we've got an interview coming up with North Dakota's Ray Morgan. I know we've hardly ever talked about North Dakota on the show. Not much going on there, usually in marijuana activism. But this election, they've got medical marijuana in on the ballot in North Dakota. So we talked to Ray about that some of the particulars about the medical marijuana law and how the polls are looking up there in the Great Plains. Also on the show, we'll do some drug war data mining. Uh, the Orange County Register took a look at where does the money from California's Prop 64 go? They're estimating about a billion dollars in tax revenue, and people are kind of curious as to who's going to be sharing in that money. We'll give you the details in drug war data mining. Before that, we've got our cannabis focus segment and we're looking at arizona's prop 205 where the uh one of the cbs affiliates i think down there in arizona is uh proposing that a particular line in the uh, initiative could doom the chances of cops 
to be able to catch stoned drivers. Could this affect the chance of passing legalization in Arizona? We'll talk about that in the Cannabis Focus. But first, we've got our Cannabis Radio News. In the headlines today, news from Washington State on marijuana and pesticides. News from Oregon on people's satisfaction with legalization. We've got medical marijuana news from Berlin, Germany. We've got the president of Mexico eyeing California legalization. And country legend Merle Haggard gets his weed on the shelves in Colorado. That's all coming up here on the Russ Bellville Show. Then join us an hour or two for Toker Talk Radio. The phone lines will be open to take your calls at 650-LEGAL-MJ. I'm Radical Russ, live from Portland. We're back with the news right after this. This is the Russ Bellville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. I said palm trees make California. Yo, 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 this is your boy TJ, Trinidad James. You're listening to Dr. Bina on Cannabis Confidential. LA, what up? Nickname James, man. I'm worried like a like. People were so excited to see you supporting our industry. And it's so important to see people who are mainstream, who are out there, that people look up to. That was my first one ever going to. So that was definitely a big deal for me. It's not just, oh man, just come smoke a bunch of joints. It's a lot of science into it. It's way more interesting than a lot of people might think who look down, per se, on what we enjoy. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. This is Dan Michaels from DanMichaelsAudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, September 16, 2016. Seattle, Washington. 
the state of Washington announced it will mandate greater testing of commercial marijuana for pesticides. The State Liquor and Cannabis Board on Thursday says it has allocated more than $1 million to hire two new full-time employees and to purchase new testing equipment at the Department of Agriculture to handle the demand. Labs in Washington have been testing cannabis for mold, mildew, and other impurities, but not for pesticides unless there are specific complaints of pesticide-tainted marijuana affecting consumers. Washington does maintain a list of approved pesticides for cannabis, which is necessary because the federal ban on cannabis means the U.S. government's Department of Agriculture doesn't maintain pesticide lists for pot like they do for all other legal commercial crops. Portland, Oregon. Two years into legalization, more Oregonians approve of legalized marijuana than when Measure 91 was passed in 2014. Oregon's legalization initiative passed with the greatest support of any state that is legalized at 56.11% of the vote. Now, new polling from DHM Research reported in the Oregonian shows that 61% of voters think legalization has had a positive impact on the state. Slight majorities of seniors, 53%, and Republicans, 52%, think marijuana legalization has had a negative impact. While dozens of Oregon cities and counties have opted out of commercial marijuana licensing, the poll found that 60% of voters statewide disagree with local pot business bans. In addition to votes on bans in the upcoming election, voters in over 100 Oregon cities will be deciding on local marijuana taxes, which 69% of the poll respondents favor. Berlin, Germany. Sales of medical cannabis in German pharmacies have nearly doubled in the first six months of 2016 compared to 2015, according to the Federal Ministry of Health. There were 61.8 kilograms of medical cannabis sold in the first half of this year, compared to 33.8 kilograms for the first half of last year. Last year, there were 424 medical cannabis licenses issued in Germany that has risen to 647 this year, an increase of just 53% compared to the 83% increase in cannabis sold. Cannabis is an illegal drug in Germany, but a 2005 court ruling determined that certain health conditions, like chronic pain, can merit an exemption, though exemptions are very difficult to get. In May, legislation was introduced for a formal German medical marijuana program. It remains in the German parliament, and its sponsor hopes for its passage in 2017. Mexico City, Mexico. Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto is closely following California's Prop 64 marijuana legalization vote, according to a California state lawmaker. State Senator Ben Allen was part of a California delegation that visited the president on Wednesday over trade and border issues. Peña Nieto brought up the subject of legalization in California, Senator Allen told Reuters, adding that, quote, they're clearly paying close attention, end quote. Peña Nieto has called for reform of his country's marijuana laws, stating that the U.S. and Mexico shouldn't pursue conflicting strategies on the issue. He has also submitted a bill to allow adults to possess an ounce of marijuana, but it has stalled in the Mexican Congress, where a medical marijuana bill also sits as well. Successful legalization votes in California and neighboring Arizona could place legal marijuana just over one-third of Mexico's border with the United States. Pueblo, Colorado Country legend Merle Haggard passed away in April, but his marijuana brand lives on at the Colorado Weed Company. Haggard's early career got a boost from his 1969 number one hit, Okie from Muskogee, an ode to middle America's disdain for the hippie politics of the West Coast during the Summer of Love that begins with the lyric, We don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee. 
But Haggard came to regret being linked to the song as he began to overcome what he called brainwashing about the harms of pot. One of the last hits of Haggard's career teamed him with his old friend Willie Nelson as they sang It's All Going to Pot, a song about the changing legality of marijuana. Denver's Westward reports that Haggard's daughter, Janessa, and husband will work with the Colorado Weed Company to maintain Haggard's vision for the cannabis brand. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, September 16th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers? From a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Normal. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORML. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Each year on my birthday, every American gets a cupcake. Okay, maybe you're high too. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at a story uh, that's out of CBS 5 in Arizona. This would be the Phoenix uh, CBS affiliate. And the title of it is Marijuana Initiative Wording Complicates DUI Prosecutions. And the lead is a single paragraph 13 pages into... Arizona's Prop 205 may create an insurmountable obstacle to prosecutors who are trying to convict people of driving under the influence of marijuana. All right. So this is clearly uh, some scare that's going on here. Scaremongering that's going on here. The CBS affiliate jumping onto this saying it might be an insurmountable obstacle trying to scare people. If we pass legalization, there's nothing we can do about stone drivers. The uh, person bringing this to the attention of CBS five is Bill Montgomery, the Maricopa County attorney. He's one of the lead opponents of the legalization measure. He says, quote, this provision protects marijuana using drivers. Unlike any other substance using drivers within the state of Arizona, 
end quote. Here's what he's complaining about. In the Prop 205, they have this, quote, a person may not be penalized by this state for an action taken while under the influence of marijuana or a marijuana product solely because of the presence of metabolites or components of marijuana in the person's body or in the urine, blood, saliva, hair, or other tissue or fluid of the person's body, end quote. And what that means is, if you're going to try to bust someone for driving while they're impaired, you have to prove they're impaired. You can't just get them to give a blood sample or a, a spit sample and say, oh, we found five nanograms of active THC. Obviously, you're too stoned because there's no science behind that. Now, Montgomery, he's trying to fool people. He says, quote, you could say that residential burglary remains illegal, but then later on you say that you can't use fingerprints. You've just taken away the means by which I can prosecute people and hold them accountable for that, end quote. Look, Bill Montgomery, if you can't secure a DUI conviction of someone who was a marijuana-using dri driver simply based on the officer's observation of that person's driving and the driver and their uh, response to the uh, field sobriety tests, then you're not a very good prosecutor. You want, you want this number, you want this per se statute you want to make your job easy that's what prosecutors want they want an easy job they want a test that you can fail a hard and fast number that guarantees that they can bypass this messy trial business this messy proving someone's one one's impaired business and take it right to the plea bargain phase and get their win that's what it's about for bill montgomery it's not about science because if it was about science he would heed the words of the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, which on its cannabis fact sheet for years now, since the 90s, has said, quote, it is inadvisable to try to predict the effects of cannabis on impairment through fluids alone, through body fluids alone. Inadvisable. The federal government says it's inadvisable, and that's because the science is not there. Now, uh, in the story, they go on to say how in alcohol cases, there is a blood alcohol test. And if it's 0.08 or higher, then you're presumed guilty. And this is the false analogy that news media and the opponents of legalization want to sink in. And truthfully, it's partially our fault. It's partially our fault because we've been lobbying to treat marijuana like alcohol. And so they want to know where the breathalyzer is. The thing is, marijuana ain't alcohol. THC is not the same as an alcohol molecule. Alcohol has a very dose-dependent and time-related uh, and weight-related ratio that you can calculate. And pretty much everybody falls within this uh, calculation that would guarantee that they're too impaired to drive at a certain level. Cannabis isn't that way. THC doesn't work that way, Bill Montgomery. I smoke every day, all day. You're never going to find me with less than five nanograms in my system. That doesn't mean I'm too impaired to drive a car. Although I don't, I don't own a car. The point being, you are lobbying for something. You are afraid of something here that is merely saying that you have to prove someone was impaired to be able to secure a DUI conviction. And it's not like legalization invents cars and pot smoking drivers. We've been around for a while and you've secured convictions against us, even in states where they don't allow this type of evidence to be entered. 
And the fact that you're saying that there's been an increase in the arrests of DUIs in Colorado and Washington kind of proves my point. Looks like they can catch them, can't they? MFR, I want more iced tea. Well, don't we all? Happy 420 to our friends in the Mountain Time Zone. Hope you're having yourselves a great day and the start of a great weekend. I got to take a break here for a brief safety meeting, as usual, as per union rules. And when we return, some drug war data mining. Where will the $1 billion in marijuana tax in California go? We'll tell you right after the break. Maui Wowie. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. <sighs> cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash. And I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay. Tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase and gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. Pay quick. The safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. Marijuana legalization is a worldwide phenomenon. Get yourself positioned for the global cannabis marketplace by attending the International Cannabis Business Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. You'll learn from established cannabis professionals, elected officials, and internationally recognized marijuana law reform activists. You'll also enjoy the ICBC's famous VIP party featuring ICBC special guest speaker and Canadian native Tommy Chong. The ICBC is happening in Vancouver on Thursday and Friday, October 13th and 14th at the Hyatt Regency. Log on to internationalcbc.com today to reserve your tickets. That's internationalcbc.com and bookmark our page for the next ICBCs taking place in Berlin, Germany and San Francisco, California. Don't miss the International Cannabis Business Conference, internationalcbc.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy. Because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. 
Today in the Data Mines, we take a look at a piece here in the Orange County Register in California entitled, If Marijuana is Legalized, Where Would $1 Billion in New Tax Revenue Go? Of course, referring to uh, Prop 64 in California, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. And one of the concerns about this among some of the critics of Proposition 64, uh, quoted in the story as Letitia Pepper, uh, is that the uh, tax revenue from legal weed wouldn't be distributed the same way it is in Colorado or Washington. Uh, Of course, people point to Colorado and Washington, the first two legal states, and note that uh, there's been a lot of revenue for schools. Uh, They've been able to have a school construction fund and being able to give out scholarships and so forth. But uh, Pepper points out that none of the revenue coming from Prop 64 would be dedicated to the general operations of local governments or schools. And this is another one of those cases where she's right, but ignores a whole lot of context. Here's the breakdown. It's written in Prop 64. This is the the statute. This will be the law. This is exactly where the money will go. And again, we're talking about a billion dollars, right? So first, they're going to put $10 million to the public universities in California to evaluate the impact of legalization and recommend policy changes if needed. Okay, so 10 million bucks, and this is going to be 10 million a year for 11 years. So 10 million a year, 11 years, $110 million total to the California university system to study what's going on with legalization and recommend policy changes, uh, things about uh, price and taxation and so forth. That seems reasonable to me, 10 million bucks out of a billion to uh, kind of take a look at what's going on and evaluate it. Sounds good. The next will be, now this is the one that upsets some of the cannabis community, $3 million a year for five years to the California Highway Patrol to develop protocols for determining when drivers are impaired by marijuana. And anytime you get one of these uh, initiatives with marijuana tax revenue and money goes to law enforcement, there's a segment of our community that freaks out. Oh, you're giving the money to the cops because they're the enemy. Look, once we're legal, they're not the enemy. (laughs) So yes, let's have some law enforcement. And Giving them this money to have to come up with a scientifically backed sort of standard for cannabis impairment on the roads just means they're going to be spinning their wheels for five years because you and I both know there is no scientific standard for a saliva test or blood test or any of that that's going to work. So, yeah, go ahead and study the hell out of it and come back and say there is no scientific standard. And then we've got the California Highway Patrol saying it and we can use that in other states. Now, there's uh, another $10 million that's going to increase slowly to $50 million a year uh, for grants to local health departments and nonprofits that support addiction treatment, job placement, mental health treatment, and other services for hard-hit communities uh, like Compton and Oakland that uh, were devastated by prohibition. That sounds good to me. And getting some uh, tax revenue toward mental health treatment, toward addiction treatment, sounds good to me. $2 million a year to the University of California, San Diego Center for Medical Cannabis Research to study marijuana as medicine. All right, that's good too. So $25 million in the first year that we're looking at out of a billion. Now, after that, the remaining revenue. Now, they got to pay for the program itself. Like the program has to be self-funded. So there'll be some administrative costs. Again, millions, but not a whole lot. As far as the rest of the money, 60% of the rest of the money goes uh, for 
uh, to prevent young people from abusing substances by offering grants to schools and county health programs, funding treatment programs, and helping at-risk youth. They're expecting this to be about $450 million. 20% to help the state environmental agencies restore waterways affected by cannabis cultivation and protect public lands. This is, of course, the people that clandestine grows that divert creeks and, and leave pesticides and garbage and stuff. Sure, let's, let's clean that up. And then 20% to the California Highway Patrol to train officers for detecting DUIs and offer grants to local law enforcement, fire protection, and other programs where there's cannabis cultivation. Now, that's what's set once we pass Prop 64 this year. But starting in 2028, they could funnel revenue to other programs, schools perhaps, if they wanted to. But this fear being generated about, oh, they're lying to you because Prop 64 doesn't give any money to schools, makes it sound as if they're not giving any money to anything good, when in fact they are. They're cleaning up the environment. They're helping people with serious drug addictions. They're helping kids stay off drugs. They're helping make sure that the the cops are forced to use a scientific standard when they're dealing with DUIs out there, rather than just, you know, uh, uh deciding some sort of per se five nanogram limit that has no bearing in science. So this is good, this tax revenue that's being distributed through Prop 64. And we always have to remind people because they they try to kind of diminish it. They'll say, oh, it's only a billion in tax revenue and California has a X billion dollar budget. It's only a drop in the bucket. It's only a drop in the bucket, this marijuana tax revenue. Well, it's going to be about the same tax revenue they bring in from tobacco in California. And it's one drop in the bucket that wasn't there under prohibition. And under prohibition, the bucket was leaking. All that money that we had to spend on the people involved in the cultivation and selling of marijuana for commercial purposes. Not a very convincing argument, Ms. Pepper. The tax revenue is there. It's in black and white in the initiative as far as where it's going. There's no controversy here. Everybody else seems to get that. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we've got Ray Morgan from North Dakota on the line to talk about their medical marijuana initiative on the ballot. And right after that, we're live with Governor Jesse Ventura. Stay tuned. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, more flavor. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks. 
even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, the national wildlife refuge for marijuana unicorns. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You're listening to Cannabis Radio News' exclusive coverage of Vote 2016, The Path to Cannabis Freedom, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everyone. As we continue our look at the 2016 election, we have nine different states that we have to cover this uh, November. And uh, one of them that came as a total surprise to me is the great state of North Dakota. We don't often hear much when it comes to marijuana activism coming out of the Great Plains states, but it's really good to have them on the ballot this year. Joining me here to talk about this is Ray Morgan, and uh, he wants to talk about this North Dakota Compassionate Care Act of 2016. Ray, welcome to the show. Uh, Good afternoon or good morning, Russ, uh, and uh, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Yes, thank you for joining us, and uh, we're excited about the possibility of medical marijuana in North Dakota. Tell us a little bit about the uh, specifics of this uh, Compassionate Care Act, things like Will there be home grow cultivation? What conditions are qualifying and so forth? Okay. Uh, yeah, we, we have about, uh, all about 10 different conditions uh, that uh, we have uh, uh, that we'll be able to use uh, medical cannabis for uh, basically cancer, uh, Crohn's disease, um, uh, chronic pain, uh, Alzheimer's, AIDS. Um, uh, a few others. Um, uh, there is a provision. Uh, the, these will all, all be uh, made available uh, should the bill pass through dispensaries in the state. However, there is a provision uh, that does allow people that live outside of a 40-mile radius of uh, where a dispensary is located to technically grow their own Uh and they have has to be into a locked enclosed facility. Mm-hmm. They don't have to do this. They can have a surrogate uh, grower uh, do this for them, and the surrogate growers can do uh, grow uh, for up to five people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, this was a provision that we put in because you know North Dakota is a fairly spacious state and. You know, in the middle of winter, if you're driving from Crosby, North Dakota, to Bismarck, North Dakota, which is maybe a four, four-and-a-half-hour drive, you know, you might run into weather conditions that, you know, might not be very favorable. The other thing, too, is that in some cases, we're going to have people who, you know, may not be the wealthiest people in the world because, obviously, medical insurance is not going to take care of this. Uh, so we 
kind of thought, you know, this might be an opportunity for some people who may not be able to afford buying this to maybe grow their own as well, too, that might be uh, a little bit more financially uh, doable for them. So uh, we are talking about a law that will uh, have a dispensary system. People will be able to access herbal cannabis. Will they, ha- will they be able to use the, the, the raw flour and be able to smoke it or vaporize it? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's, uh, yeah, there, there will be, uh, you know, uh, the dispensaries, well, the, the way that it's set up is that uh, a nonprofit organization will basically control the growing uh, the dispensing, but also to, you know, whether they decide to do, uh, you know, edibles or transdermal patches or oils, they would have control of, of processing and manufacturing of those. Gotcha. Now, uh, so we, we established that only the patients that live 40 miles away from a dispensary are going to be able to grow their own cannabis. So for the people, the patients that live, that do live within 40 miles, uh, do they have to just pick one dispensary? Do do you have to register for a dispensary or can they just choose anyone that happens to be nearby? Well, you can choose anyone that happens to be, you know, nearby, you know, you will have obviously a, uh, uh, this, a card, a prescription card mm-hmm. that will be di- that will be given to you by your uh, you know your doctor or your uh, uh, physician's assistant, uh, whatever the case might be. Gotcha. Uh, uh, you know, and you have to understand, Russ. Too, North Dakota is not a huge state, so there's there's probably only going to be probably maybe across the state, maybe four dispensaries mm. in, in the major, you know, in the major cities, which are Fargo, Grand Forks, Bismarck, and Minot. Right. Uh, you know, we're just not, you know, we're just not that huge a state when right. you're talking 750,000 people. Right, exactly. And uh, as far as uh, the uh, registry, you've got a registry where patients will sign up and get a card. What, are the, what is the cost on that registry? And will North Dakota recognize other states' cards if people are visiting? Um, the the cost of the cards at twenty dollars per year, um, which there's pretty we felt was pretty reasonable. Um, we are not going to recognize people we're not going to make this reciprocal with other states unfortunately but um, um, you know it's we thought it would be well it's relatively inexpensive to get a card it's just that we have to persuade doctors now uh, that medical marijuana is something that should be looked at gotcha for their patients now, this, uh, this vote for the North Dakota Compassionate Care Act of 2016 is happening here in November. And, you know, I'm calling you from the state of Oregon where we've, you know, been involved in the marijuana issue for decades. And I imagine it's got to be a lot different in North Dakota trying to uh, campaign for this issue. Uh, has it been difficult for you? Has it been difficult to get across to North Dakotans uh, that this is about medicine and not just, you know, trying to get people high? Yes, it is. It's, you know, we're a conservative state. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. The Midwest, as people well know across the country, that, you know, we're fairly conservative here. 
I do think, though, that, you know, in, I think the tide is slowly turning. Uh, we have had with our, um, you know, with our signature gathering to get this measure on the ballot, you know, we've had uh, 120 people across the state that gathered some 18,000 signatures, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot for North Dakota. Uh, and, you know, I, I, right now, we have not had any real opposition. There's been some law enforcement uh, that have questioned whether this is a good thing or not, uh, but we haven't seen the medical profession come out against it, nor have we seen a lot of, you know, uh, sheriff's departments or police associations come out against it thus far. So I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic going forward. Uh, the MPP medical, um, marijuana or, um, marijuana policy project is actually going to be doing a poll here very soon for us. Uh, they are starting to get, uh, a little bit more involved, uh, with our efforts as well, too. Mm, that's good to hear so, because I, so hopefully. Oh, I was so going to say we'll that's good to hear because I hadn't I hadn't seen any polling come out out of North Dakota uh, for years. So uh, I was just wondering, you know, how how the uh, prospects were looking for the vote. Yeah, we uh, we don't have anything concrete yet as far as uh, polling data goes. We have some old polls which uh, uh, show that you know uh, a fairly large percentage of North Dakotans were in favor of medical marijuana, but those were a couple of. Uh, about a couple of years old, so it's it's. Uh, I think you know, like I say, we're cautiously optimistic uh, uh, about our prospects. What's the uh, official ballot number or initiative number up there in North Dakota? That uh, it's going to be uh, ballot number five. Okay, so want to encourage everyone out there who has relatives or friends in North Dakota to inform them, let them know ballot number five is up for medical marijuana. They need to be registered. They need to vote on November 8th to make sure that we can bring this uh, wonderful medicine to the great people of North Dakota. Before I let you go, Ray, is there any other like websites or contact information that would help our listeners to help you? Yep, we have our Facebook page, which is North Dakota Compassionate Care 2016. Also, our uh, web page is ndcca2016.org. Uh, and uh, if anybody would like to contribute to our campaign, we'd certainly appreciate it. All right, that sounds good. Ray Morgan, up there in North Dakota, working on the North Dakota Compassionate Care Act 2016. It's ballot number five on the North Dakota ballot this November election. Ray, thanks for calling into the show, and we wish you the best of luck up there in North Dakota. Thanks, Russ. We'll keep you posted on uh, election night to let you know how things went. All right. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Ray. And uh, stay tuned, folks, because right after this break... We've got former Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura on in our Reformers Reader to talk about his new book, Marijuana Manifesto. We're live in beautiful legal potland, Oregon, and back right after this.
This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. It's time to Hemp Present with Anadina Stanger. I say to you with all the fervor of my soul that God intended men to be free. Rebellion against tyranny is a righteous cause. And I believe that with every ounce of my soul, we are fighting a righteous cause because people need nature. Marijuana! Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Sweet sativa! The Russ Belleville Show, providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. The best weapon you can have in the Prohibition War is your mind. Fill your head with the knowledge you need by checking out this latest entry in the Russ Belleville Show's Reformer's Reader. All right, welcome back, everyone. It's 45 after the hour, and joining us in our Reformers Reader is a great guest to the show. We've got the former governor of Minnesota, Jesse, Governor of Minnesota, Jesse Ventura. Jesse, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Uh, you, your new book is Marijuana Manifesto. It's your 10th book, and I think the first question on my mind is, what inspired you to want to write about marijuana? It's not the first thing people think of when they think of Jesse Ventura. Well, because it, 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 I'll, I'll get into the story, but it gave me back my quality of life. That if it wasn't for marijuana, I would not have the quality of life that I was used to and that I enjoyed. <laughs> and it isn't from me, but I'll just state this. It dealt with... Uh, it dealt with a person close to me who uh, started suffering epileptic seizures disorder and started seizing. It got so bad it was three to four times a week, and I was in the middle of all this. And so my life was completely turned upside down. Not to say that the person seizing, of course, their life was turned upside down, but mine along with it. And the person went to the doctors and they put the person on four different seizure pharmaceutical seizure medicines one the next the next the next none of them worked the seizures continued and all of them had horrible side effects so finally we uh the person went to colorado and got uh at the time called medical marijuana and it was three drops under the tongue three times a day. In fact, I uh, had a seizure on the way there. And when the marijuana was started then, the seizure stopped. Uh, now in Minnesota, uh, it's legal medical marijuana, and it's changed over to two pills a day. And she, the person has not had a seizure in over two and a half years now. 
and uh, I attribute it completely to marijuana. The only sad thing is, because Minnesota's laws are so restrictive, uh, what would cost $30 in Colorado costs 600 here. Mm. And that's one of the impacts of uh, these medical marijuana laws as they've unfurled in this country is that they've gotten more and more restrictive as they've gone on. I would posit that that has to do with them trying to keep it out of the hands of the people who aren't supposed to have it. And that leads us to the discussion of marijuana legalization, which you touch on in the book. Uh, We got a lot of states voting on it this year. Uh, What do you think so far of the legalization regimes that have gone down in Colorado, Washington, and the other states? I think it's wonderful. Uh, it's, it's, when you read in my book, you'll read the history of marijuana. And I, I think people need to read that to understand that uh, in today's world, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, and probably Ben Franklin would all be uh, arrested by the DEA. They would be charged and probably serving 10 to 12 years in federal prison for being drug dealers <clears throat> because marijuana remains a Schedule One, which is ridiculous. It's the only thing out there where law enforcement gets to, to say what it is. Nothing else, all other laws are made by elected officials and carried out by legislatures and Congress and things like that. But on this one, the DEA gets to do it. Well, they benefit directly from it. They make money off keeping it illegal. And again, you look at, it was the economic backbone of our country for 160 years. There was a time when we were the colonies where Britain actually ordered the colonies to grow it because they needed it and didn't have the space to grow it. Uh, Britain's only about the size of the state of New York, and they didn't have the vast areas in the South and all that, and marijuana was the number one crop in the South until the invention of the cotton gin. Mm. When the cotton gin got invented, then marijuana fell behind cotton for clothing and all of that. But it was the backbone. You could actually, in those days, trade marijuana with England in lieu of money. Mm-hmm. And it was accepted in the barter system. And uh, then, of course, the 30s came along, and William Randolph Hearst in his 26 newspapers, and uh, he used it like today, bought off the politicians in uh, Washington, got it declared illegal because he wanted to corner the market on the paper industry in the fact that uh, uh, he owned thousands of acres of timberland and all these newspapers, and marijuana hemp makes better paper than wood. It's much more renewable. So what he did in the spirit of capitalism, he just got his competition eliminated by the law, Mm -hmm. which is absurd. And so, and he did it through articles in all of his 26 papers that were horrid. They were racist. They attributed the devil weed to black people. They insinuated that Mexicans smoked it, and that's why they were all lazy. And all of these racial things that were just, it, it makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up to a predominantly white country at that time, a white, the white power was the power in the country. You know, people of color had no power, so they were scapegoated with marijuana. And then, you know, and the rest is history now. But it it just, it's ridiculous. It's jobs waiting to happen. 
Colorado's got, what, $300 million new dollars this year to spend on their schools because of taxing pot. Uh, I know the first windfall out of Washington was that their judicial budget in the first year fell 15%, and I can tell you as a governor, that's mammoth. Mm-hmm. That's hundreds of millions of dollars right there that you're not spending. People fail to realize whenever someone gets arrested for anything, it costs you money exactly. because it's your tax dollars that have to do the arresting. So uh, while we arrest all these people, and then and then I'm going to go on with this, and then I'll let you back in. <laughs> Every time you you got the you got the stuff with the national anthem right now, you yeah. know, with with Kaepernick and all that. I laugh when I hear the national anthem today. You know why I laugh at it? Uh-uh. When it gets to the part "Home of the Brave" and "Land of the Free," <laughs> yeah, and we have we have more people in prison than any other country in the world. How do we call what hypocrisy? How can we possibly call ourselves land of the free when you ain't free if you're sitting in jail? Exactly. We're speaking with uh, former Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura. His new book is called Marijuana Manifesto. It's extensively annotated. I, I hear 40 pages of footnotes. So you've certainly done your research. And you mentioned the, uh, the, the 30s and Hearst and the demonization of marijuana. And there are some in our movement. And in fact, there's a, a book out called Cannabis Manifesto. There are some in our movement that bristle at the word marijuana Uh why did you choose that as the title as your, of your book? And do you share any of that uh, concern about using the word marijuana versus cannabis? Well, cannabis, that's kind of like, you know, <laughs> that's like being an atheist or a non-believer. <laughs> you know, you go through that if you're one of those, you know, are you, because atheist sounds so harsh and non-believer sounds much more acceptable. But the point of the matter is, why not use marijuana? That's what it was called when I was growing up. You know, that's what I grew up with. I'm a product of the 60s. I was in my teen years in the 60s, graduated high school 1969. And back then, it wasn't referred to as cannabis. So if I make the mistake, and we should call it cannabis, I guess, We call it marijuana, I call it marijuana, because that's what it was called back in the days when I went and saw Jimi Hendrix, like July 25th, 1970. Mm. It was called marijuana back then, so uh, spike it off to my youth. (laughs) (laughs) You're making me jealous with the uh, Hendrix concert there. Uh, I'm I'm a a little younger than you are, and dang it, I'd only been two years old, but I I still would have wanted to go. Uh, Jesse Ventura, uh, The Marijuana Manifesto is the book, and this is... uh, uh, it's interesting to me that you came about uh, wanting to write this book based on you know the experiences of someone you know dealing with a medical issue. Prior to that, had this been something on your political radar? Had this been something? Oh been- yeah, I I tried I tried when I was governor to get legalization of cannabis. You know, at that time, uh, you know, uh, when I was governor, I couldn't get I could get no cooperation. You see, I was an independent, mm-hmm. and with independence, if you elect independence, you'll get to issues like this. But if you continue to elect Democrats and Republicans, then it's the status quo. I couldn't even get anyone to hardly carry a bill on it, mm. you know. 
Same thing held true when I, uh, they want to build all these sports stadiums, right? This mm-hmm. is a little off on another subject, but I had a way they could build all the stadiums they want that wouldn't cost the taxpayer a dollar. And that is legalized sports betting. Yeah. It's a three billion dollar a year industry in Minnesota. Three billion. Now, if we take what a bookie gets, ten percent, that's three hundred million new dollars a year. Mm. I mean, you could build this new Viking stadium in four years and have it all paid for just on the gambling that's illegal. See, that's the big problem here. When you make things illegal, they still go on. You just get no benefits from them because they're run by criminals, and there's no tax revenue made on them. In fact, you pay. Since Nixon declared the war on drugs, we've paid like a trillion dollars. Have we been successful? Absolutely not. You know, it's 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 an unwinnable war. Uh, As I said when I was governor, people are going to do, in, in freedom, you have to accept the yin and the yang of it. You want freedom, but also part of that freedom is the freedom to be stupid. <laughs> and and man is going to do things that are stupid. And like I told my staff when I was governor, I said, you can't legislate against stupidity. People will do stupid things, and you can't make every stupid thing against the law. And that's what we try to do with people, because in what's supposed to be a free country, if you take drugs, quote, or ingest anything in your body, in a free country, how can you commit a crime against yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. So does this, uh, your stand then on uh, legalizing marijuana, is is that extend to other drugs, prostitution, gambling? Yeah, for me, the big picture, absolutely. Now, when you say, see, because it it all comes down to addiction. Addiction's a disease. And, okay, I'll give you a good, a good comparison here. Let's, 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 let's think of a, a situation like this. Imagine if all the Starbucks and all the coffee disappeared tomorrow morning and people couldn't get their caffeine addiction. Hmm. What do you think would happen tomorrow? (laughs) I think you'd have anarchy. I think you'd have chaos in the streets. Yeah, indeed. And anybody that had any, boy, they better be have a conceal and carry because someone's going to steal it from them. (laughs) <laughs> Good point. Now, you uh, you brought up uh, sports and politics, a couple of things I wanted to get to. Uh, before we leave the marijuana issue, though, uh, as, as legalization has un- uh, unfolded in, in Colorado, we've got these industries now that are being built around it. And we've also got celebrities that are jumping in, some that we would expect, like Willie Nelson or Snoop Dogg. Others who kind of caught people by surprise, like uh, the former governor of New Mexico, Gary Johnson, was the CEO of one of these companies. What do you think about the industry side of this? And would you ever consider putting your name on some sort of cannabis brand? Absolutely. I've put word out and no one seems to want it, so I thought I'd write a book. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so, no, uh, seriously, I, uh, I think it's wonderful. It's, it's a whole economic boom to our economy waiting to happen. I mean, how many people out there work in the alcohol industry? How many people out there work in the tobacco industry? Now, those are two legal drugs when improperly used or properly used can kill you. Marijuana's never killed anybody or cannabis. 
You know, and and you can't overdose with cannabis. You can drink and drink, binge drinking. Look, it's a problem at college. These kids, you know, binge drink and they die. Well, that can't happen with cannabis. You can't smoke enough in one night to die from it. It's never happened. If it does happen, it'll be the first time. Mm. And and so when you look at it from a safety standpoint, and then you get the argument from people, well, the cannabis today is way more powerful than the cannabis in the 60s. That might be, but just the same as alcohol. You have different strains of marijuana, uh, just as you have maybe a liqueur that's only 18%, or you can go out and drink 151 rum. You know, one of them's going to knock you into tomorrow, and the other one you probably handle all night long. Mm-hmm. Well, the same can be said and on the side of if you're an inhaler, say you're a smoker of the cannabis. Well, if it's more potent, you may have to only take one puff. And you're good for how long? Where in the old days in the 60s, you might have to take a dozen puffs or smoke the whole cannabis cigarette. Well, that means you're inhaling more smoke in your lungs, aren't you? Mm-hmm. So the less smoke, the better. And if it's more potent, that's not necessarily a negative thing. Yeah, exactly. Because uh- you can't overdose it. Right, right. Uh, well, uh, Governor Ventura, I got to tell you, uh, checking out our live chat room here at CannabisRadio.com, we've got uh, a, a grower out there in central Oregon who says it was an area settled by Minnesota loggers, and he welcomes you out there if you want to start your brand. Another one of our chatters says, <laughs> another one of our chatters. Tell him I appreciate it, but I don't think, I, I, I've had a varied multiple, multiple careers but farmer hasn't appeared yet, and I don't <laughs> yeah. know, I'm 65 now. I don't think I got a green thumb. <laughs> <laughs> Another one of our chatters uh, has come up with the name for the Jesse Ventura marijuana cigarettes. He calls them Ventura Highway. How's well, that? Well, not bad. Not bad. You huh? know, like I, like I said, I, I would be open to it because for me, I like to do a lot of firsts and uh, I just signed with uh, with RT America. That's Russian Television, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I, my agent is uh, William Morris Endeavor, one of the largest agencies in the world out of LA. And they told me that I was the first person that they, uh, first client where they ever negotiated with Russia. Oh wow! For my services, interesting. Which is what they do. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, that's a first there. So I put a feather in my cap on that. So. If somebody out there would would offer me an advertising deal I'd, uh, for cannabis, I'd jump at it because I'd like to be the first elected official to officially put my name on something that should be legal. That it to me, it this is bigger than than cannabis too. This is an opportunity for us, the people, to rise up and tell our government that we are the boss. Because over 50% of people now across the board, and the more all the time when they see the good results and get educated, want cannabis legal. Mm -hmm. Well, it's our government that's telling us we can't. And we need to understand they work for us. We don't work for them. That's right. As much as they want to make you believe that, that they lord over us, cannabis could be the issue that really throws it in their face. You know, 
We had to start with Bernie Sanders' people. And believe it or not, Sanders' people and Trump's people are the same. They're just at the opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, I've, 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 I've heard that analysis before myself. Oh, yeah. They just, they're on the opposite ends, but they're both calling for ending the status quo. Yes, yes. We're speak- you know, one from the far right, the other from the far left. Exactly. And, and it's an amazing phenomenon when you watch it take part over the last year and a half. Oh, yeah. And then you watch the two parties destroy it and stifle it down. Well, cannabis could be the issue where we can rise up and tell our government that we're in charge. We want this product. We want to be able to, you know, here's a quote. You want an original quote from me? Yes, sir. Here it is. I've said it many times, having grown up in the 60s. Marijuana or cannabis is to rock and roll what beer is to baseball. So imagine if they took away beer at the ball game. Mm, that would be a tragedy. Well, it just it's a tragedy because they've tried to take mar- cannabis. I'm trying to say the words right. Oh, you, you, I'm not the one <laughs> who's trying- got the problem with marijuana. I love the word marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, they're trying to take it away. I mean... I grew up going to concerts in the 60s, and you could go there with nothing. And it was sent right down the line, and everyone had a wonderful time, and it was some of the greatest times in this country, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and, and believe it or not, from age 18 to 22 and a half, or 23 and a half, I was in the United States Navy. Yes, sir. And uh, uh, we're speaking, folks, if you just joined us, we're speaking with uh, Governor Jesse Ventura. His new book is called Marijuana Manifesto, and it's available through Amazon and other outlets. And I wanted to get toward that political discussion because, you know, your career fascinates me as someone who rose uh, past the two-party politics and managed to become governor of Minnesota as an independent. This year in the presidential race, we've got the two least liked major party candidates ever, what should be the big opening for a third-party candidate to make a splash, and yet Governor Johnson and Dr. Stein, between the two of them, can't even register 15% in the polls. How do we break this logjam? Well, you break it by voting for them. Simple as that. But here's the problem. You must, it's an unlevel playing field for them. Number one, the media never talks about them, never shows their faces when they show the other two, Everything's focused on the two-party dictatorship, and the media is bought and sold by the same corporations that own the two parties. So it's all in a big circle, and if you're not in that inner circle, you're left out. What happened in Minnesota was this. I was polling no better than Gary Johnson, 9% at Labor Day, but I was allowed in the debates. In 60 days, I became the governor of Minnesota because I was allowed in the debates. The problem with the presidential debates, guess who gets decided who gets in? The Democrats and Republicans. Mm -hmm. Because they're the ones that had the Federal Debate Commission, this so-called nonpartisan commission. Well, it's nonpartisan for the Democrats and Republicans, but it's very partisan for third parties. They set this un unbelievable high standard of 15% in the state of Minnesota. If you get 5% on a statewide election, you're considered a major party. Hmm. 5%. Yet at the, at the federal level, and who set the standard of 15? Where is that in law? 
that you have to have 15% to be included in the debates. Yeah. And, and I proved it. I went from 9% in 60 days and became governor of Minnesota because I was, uh, and you should have seen him scrambling to cancel debates because <laughs> as soon as I hit the first debate, oh boy, my numbers started heading straight up and the other two sides were canceling out. We had a debate scheduled for in front of uh, representatives of all the high schools in the state of Minnesota that planned for a year. And and uh, the other the major parties backed out of it because I was zooming to the top. So and they had to do it. You got people need to understand this is the dirtiest business going, and people who are involved in it obviously, for lack of better term, will jump into the mud with the pigs, and the pigs love it. Mm-hmm. Follow me? Yes, gotcha. This is the politics is the dirtiest, rottenest underhanded business there is they will do anything to win there's no ethics involved they when i was in office they never attacked my policies they attacked me personally then they went so far as to the media to attack my children Mm. you know and that's what you're facing here that a lot of people wanted me to run for president, but I couldn't bring myself to go in on the whole hundred percent of doing the job because I fought back. And I, and, and, but I will tell you this, had I run and say, I got the libertarian, I'd have been in the debates. I'd have shamed them into it. You know how I would have did it? <laughs> I would have said, Hillary and Donald, you two want to be the commander-in-chief of the military. Well, I have something neither of you have. It's called an honorable discharge from the United States Navy. And you want to be the commander-in-chief? That requires a person with courage. You don't even have the courage to debate me. Mm. And yet you want to run the military, and you want to tell me that you have the courage to do it? Yeah, yeah. I'd ashamed him into it. Well done. Uh, Jesse Ventura, uh, the book is Marijuana Manifesto. And so looking at the, uh, at the, the fact that we've got this set up system where we're going to be force fed these two, uh, candidates. Oh, it's rigged. It's, yeah. it's rigged from anyone outside the two parties. It's completely rigged against you. Yeah. Do you, do you see though, uh, is there any, any lick of difference? to which one of those people might become president as far as politics or even marijuana goes? Maybe, maybe. Well, Hillary gives you the typical chicken politician answer. She says that, oh, there has to be more studies on cannabis. No, there doesn't. Uh, that university over in Israel and the doctor I might have funded by the United States uh, he knows it all, and and he's already unequivocally said it could help out the head traumas in the National Football League. They've already said that marijuana cannabis can help post-traumatic stress for all the young and men, women we're sending off to these vile wars that we can't get out of worldwide. It, it, it has so many medical uses that really whoever banned it, I think, should go to jail. Because they've denied humanity, uh, and for all the religious people out there, um, isn't part of your religion that God put everything here? Well, what right do we as man have then to destroy a creation of God? Because mm. God made marijuana. First page of the book. 
So, uh, uh, Governor Ventura, I, I'm wondering, uh, so, oh, I'm sorry. It looks like we've just disconnected, unfortunately, uh, with the governor. My apologies. Let's see if we can uh, get him back on the line here. We just uh, pushed the wrong button. I hate it when that happens. We will uh, bring him right back as soon as I can get that number pasted back in and here we go we'll dial back out to governor jesse ventura uh talking to us from his home sorry about the disconnection there uh, uh governor ventura russ belleville again sorry for the disconnection right, no no problem anyway i'll finish my train of thought god god made marijuana hemp and so why i don't and and, and allegedly it, everything was put here for us to use and hemp has so many uses, it's criminal It's that they're not using it. I mean, it's biodiesel fuel to help us get off Middle Eastern oil, I, although I say let's get off of all these engines and go solar completely. But uh, anyway, that's another story. But it, 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 it's clothing. I mean, I love to tell this one. How can it be any more American? then the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and Betsy Ross's original flag are made out of it. Mm, very good point. Uh, Governor Ventura... You know, I mean, can I, can I, if I was in a courtroom, I think I could say, I rest my case. <laughs> well said. Uh, now, Governor Ventura, uh, you briefly touched on sports, and of course people uh, know you uh, from your past uh, as The Body. One of our chat room people wanted to know, uh, are you still uh, working out? Are you still pumping iron? Oh, yeah. I just train differently today. I'm actually right now two pounds more than I was when I got out of the United States Navy. Wow. Okay. And you said, what, you're 65? I weighed 228 when I got out of the Navy. I'm about 230 right now. I lift weights yet, uh, but I do nothing less than 20 repetitions per set. I do 300 reps a workout five to six days a week, depending on the body part. And then I really focus in on the elliptic machine because I had a hip done a few back in 08, and my surgeon at the Mayo Clinic, he doesn't believe anyone over 40 should run. Not that they're incapable of doing it, but the pounding. Yeah. It'll jar and pound your body apart. And with the technology we have today, like elliptic machines and all that equipment you have, I actually listened, and I switched over to the elliptic machine. And right now I do anywhere from a marathon to 40 miles a week. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. And I'm, and, I, and I'm on Medicare now. I just turned 65 this summer. <laughs> well done, Governor Ventura. Glad to hear it. And uh, along that same line of questioning, I had my own question from my childhood that I wanted to ask, and that is, aside from yourself, who do you consider to be the three greatest professional wrestlers of all time? Oh, again, that's difficult to do. It's like anything. You, you can't compare generations to generations like you know comparing Babe Ruth to Hank Aaron comparing whatever to whatever it's just like in this year's Olympics uh, what's his name Bella Karai the big gymnastics uh-huh. coach they asked to compare this young girl from the US to uh, Nadia Komanich his first great student that right. he took to the gold medal and he said you can't do that it's unfair it's different times mm. 
and and so you can't uh, you know who's the three greatest who knows that's that's ultimately in the world of pro wrestling that's in the eyes of the fans it was uh, you know I, I I can't sit here and tell you who's who the three greatest are I will say this I'm the greatest talker <laughs> well no doubt about that governor uh, now as we, and in my day and in my day they always said the money was made at the mic. <laughs> there you go. Was it was uh, was marijuana ever a concern in pro wrestling back in the day? I, I mean, I've heard lately it's been well, tested for. It, 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 not a concern, you know. I, I I'm you know I'm not going to say any really. I'm not going to say anything more than that. Uh, it 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 was used for the same things that they would use it today for pain and other additional things that, uh, in my opinion, are far better than having to go to pharma. I mean, we here in Minnesota just lost Prince. Yes. And we didn't, lo- we didn't lose Prince to marijuana. We lost him to pharmaceuticals. Yeah, specifically, we lost him to fentanyl. And in Arizona, yep. the, one of the makers of fentanyl has donated a half million dollars to try to defeat legalization there. Yeah, of course, because they want you on those pills. I mean, when you look at the, the epidemic going on throughout this country right now with opiates, it's scary. And yet, here's some re- here's some instant feedback too. Everywhere they've legalized marijuana, heroin use has dropped. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it runs in the face of them when they sold us back from the '30s on that it was a gateway drug that you'd smoke pot today and in two years you'll be on heroin in the gutter well this is proving that that is not true at all in fact the opposite holds true there's less going to that extreme if if access to marijuana or hemp is available Mm. or cannabis Governor Ventura's book is called Marijuana Manifesto. You can check it out at uh, Amazon.com and other fine retailers as well. And, uh, Governor, of course, we've got uh, uh, about three minutes left here. And this November, we've got nine states on the ballot, four with medical marijuana, five with legalization, and most most importantly, California, with its Prop 64 legalization, is on the ballot. Uh, are, there, are, are you in support of these measures generally, California specifically? Should people uh, take a look at these and vote for them? I haven't read it completely, but be wary. Be wary, because what I say by that is the one that got voted down in Ohio, mm-hmm. it was good that it did. Because be wary, what the government's trying to do is make it to where you're going to have to buy all your cannabis from, say, an Amheuser-Busch, mm-hmm. a big corporation. And they're writing these laws that allow the corporations to take over the business. You know, And I think that's the big thing the cannabis people don't want to have happen. They want poor people to have access to it. We yeah. want the freedom. Even today, uh, I'll finish with this. It's still not legal in Colorado, not completely. You want to know why? Yeah. I can go to Colorado, and I can buy as much tobacco product as I want and fill up a pickup truck, right? No one would say a word to me. I could go to a liquor store in Colorado, and I could empty out as much liquor as my credit card would hold, and it would all be legal, and no one would say a word. Yet, a state resident can only purchase one ounce at a time, and a non-resident can only buy a half an ounce of marijuana at any time. Now, so that means it's still not 
completely legal. And the other thing about Colorado that's strange, you have to have a prescription to get medical, but you don't to get recreational. Yeah. It's still no, a that long... don't make no sense to me at all. Yeah, we still have a long way to go before we truly achieve cannabis liberation. Uh, these uh, exactly. baby steps and are frustrating. We have, keep, we have to keep the heat on, the feet to the fire, because they're going to do everything they can to reverse all this any time that they possibly can, and they got huge money backing them. So the people, uh, it's, like I said, this is an issue where the country can rise up and tell the government, hey, we're in charge, we want this legal, get out of the way, we're the boss, you're not. You're to carry our wishes out uh, because you take our taxes and spend them. Uh, Governor that Jesse Ventura, thank you so much for those words. We appreciate you. you joining us here on the show. And uh, this sound means... the truth what a perfect segue governor ventura thank you so much for joining us here for this extended thank interview you. bye-bye bye-bye and uh, appreciate that uh looking forward to getting a copy of that book marijuana manifesto check it out online we'll be back after this safety briefing taking your calls at 650 legal mj 650 legal mj when we return We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. The cannabis business industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your Canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. The Russ Belleville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at herbiesheadshop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at herbiesheadshop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. 
Hello, Mr. Man. Hi. I'm doing... I'm, I'm working. I'm sorry. No food till this is done. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 423 here in the Pacific Time Zone. And I'm just still reeling from the uh, interview with Governor Jesse Ventura. I don't know. Can you tell when I get nervous? <laughs> I push the wrong button. Hang up on the guy. I'm like, oh, great, Russ. <laughs> Way to go. Hang up on the governor. <laughs> what a great guy, though. Uh, some folks in the chat room are reacting, saying, like, uh, maybe you should have hung up on him again before he said that anti-big marijuana stuff. But, you know, um, there's I disagree with him on the issue three in Ohio. I think that all legalization should be passed. But I look at it from a very uh, civil rights aspect. Right. And I don't care who's getting rich and I don't care what the industry is doing. But there are a lot of people that do. And it is fair to make the point that the laws need to be written in such a way that we can all participate in this industry, uh, at least, you know, within reason. And one of the roadblocks that we're seeing, and this is getting exposed now by folks uh, like Asha Bandele and Michelle Alexander and, and Jay-Z with his video the other day, and that is, you know, we're not inclusive uh, or, or we're, we're, we're keeping minorities out of the business due to the way we write these laws. We write these initiatives and they say for the licensing, uh, you can't be licensed if you're an ex-drug felon. Well, who got drug felonies the most? Black and Latino people disproportionately did. So we are, and, and it's even from the point of view, you know, of course, from a racial justice issue, it's a problem, but it's even a problem just from the idea of don't we want the best people in our industry, right? The people that were doing this illegally have skills. <laughs> they're, they're great growers, they're great marketers, they're great sellers. Why shouldn't they be able to now do this legally? So it is fair to point out that we need to pay attention to how the laws are written and to agitate for those laws to be written in such a way that they are equitable. However, for me, it would take a really egregious law for me to be able to say no on a legalization initiative. It, it would have to be, I, I, I kind of have this thing where it's like, do things get better? Do things get worse? And let's balance the two of them out. And if there's a whole lot more better than there is of worse, then let's go with it. And, it, and sometimes that's a tough decision. Like Washington's I-502, there's, there's the better, you get legal weed. There's the worse, you get five nanogram DUID. And then there's the no change at all, no home grow, which you'd never had in the first place anyway. That was a tough one for me to decide, but it still just came down to the fact that I cannot tell some family that they've got to lose their dad to a marijuana conviction that shouldn't happen, that they need to take that risk for another two or four years while we try to get the perfect initiative up. It would take a big deal breaker for me to be able to uh, reject that. And currently on the ballot, in the, uh, the five states that are pressing for legalization, what we've got is as good or better than what we've got in the four legal states. So if we've accepted that these four legal states have set kind of a benchmark and these other initiatives are exceeding it, then what's our problem? What are, what are we concerned about here? You know, it's not like medical marijuana. With medical marijuana, we had the first state come out, California, and had the most 
expansive possible medical marijuana that you could ever have. Just about anybody can get it for any reason they want. And then every state from that point on started getting more and more and more restrictive. Condition lists and registries and uh, you know, doctors being audited and no home grow and no, no cannabis even. You have to have like cannabinoid products. You can't have the actual flower, right? So the arc of medical marijuana has just gotten more and more and more restrictive. What I'm seeing here with legalization is it's getting more and more and more expensive. You got your first two states that passed, Colorado and Washington, right? And Washington had no home grow and a per se five nanogram DUID. Colorado, their legislature has added a five nanogram rebuttable presumption DUID. The rest of the states after that, Oregon, Alaska, didn't take that up. They didn't follow that model. They rejected it. And the five states that are on the ballot now rejected it as well. So we're getting better. The, the, the initiatives are creating more expansive marijuana than less. But let's take a look at a comparison. We can, we can run down this really quick. Okay, so how much weed can you possess? An ounce, right? Well, that's across the board. The four legal states, Nevada, Arizona, Massachusetts, Maine, California. Oh, I'm sorry. Maine will allow you to have 2.5 ounces, two and a half. And Washington, D.C. lets you have two ounces. How about concentrates, right? Well, Colorado, only an ounce. Washington, seven grams. Oregon, an ounce. Alaska, an ounce. Concentrates are a bit more restrictive in these initiatives. Seven grams in Nevada, five grams Arizona, five grams Massachusetts, eight grams California. Maine, two and a half ounces. (laughs) Maine's going to be the place to be if you want your hash, folks. Let me tell you. Uh, Possession penalties. Can there be uh, a penalty for having too much weed? Yes, and and it remains uh, over six ounces in Colorado, over 40 grams in Washington. That's a that's a felony Uh, over four or or over eight ounces in uh, in Oregon, over four ounces in Alaska. And then for the rest of these new states, the uh, uh, amounts vary widely, like in California, anything over an ounce is going to be a misdemeanor, you know, six months, 500 bucks. In Maine, anything up to a pound is going to be a misdemeanor, six months. In Massachusetts, anything up to two ounces is going to be decrim. In Arizona, anything up to two and a half ounces will be decrim. But in Nevada, anything over an ounce can be a felony if it's intent to sell. And that's another concern is does legalization remove a possession felony? Is it still possible after you legalize in your state to get a felony? Just for possession, not intent to sell or anything like just possession. And in Colorado, over 12 ounces is a felony. Washington, 40 grams is a felony. Alaska, over four ounces, felony. Oregon does not have a possession felony anymore. There's no amount of weed you can possess and be charged with simple possession, just possession. Washington, D.C. does not as as well. But as we look at the five states that are legalizing, Massachusetts and Maine, I'm sorry, Massachusetts and California are the ones that have removed any sort of possession felony. In Maine, it'll still be a felony over 16 ounces, over a pound. Arizona, over two and a half ounces will be a felony. And again, in that Nevada one, over one ounce would still be a felony. Nevada's pretty restrictive. Now, we also mentioned home grow. Will these initiatives 
allow for home grow, unlike Washington states. Of course, uh, Colorado, Oregon, and Alaska all allow for home grow. In the states that are pressing these initiatives, California, six plants per household. Maine, six mature plants, 12 immature plants, and an unlimited number of seedlings. Maine's got the by far the most expansive home grow of any of the states. The others, Massachusetts, six plants, household limit of 12. Arizona, six plants, household limit of 12. And then Nevada, six plants, household limit of 12, but a 25-mile halo. If you live within 25 miles of a pot shop, you can't home grow. Of all these initiatives, Nevada is the one that is the most restrictive of the five that are trying to pass right now. But even it is still somewhat better than Washington's I-502. All right, we've also got uh, the home possession, right? Because you get that one-ounce possession in your... uh, in, in public, but do you, are you allowed to possess more at home? Now, the states that have done this right include Colorado and Alaska. They've decided that when you grow your six plants or your four plants or however many plants it is, that you can possess the results of your harvest. That is, your harvest should not turn you into a criminal that your plants do not turn you into. Unfortunately, in some other states... That's not the case. Here in Oregon, we're limited to eight ounces. So you can have four plants, but you can only harvest eight ounces. You better only grow two ounces per plant. And and maybe that's me because I'm a lousy grower, but most people get more than two ounces of plant, don't they? Now, in the five that are coming up for a vote here, they're getting it right in four out of five of them. In Arizona, Massachusetts, Maine, and California, all of them will allow you to possess the results of your harvest from your cannabis plants. And Massachusetts adds to that 10 ounces. And what that means is, even if you're not growing at home, you could have 10 ounces on you at home. Nevada, unfortunately, does have that results of the harvest as well. So I guess I I was mistaken. All of them. All five of them allow you to possess the results of your harvest. It's just, again, in Nevada, you can't grow if you're within 25 miles of a shop. Now, the uh, penalties for cultivation, if you, if you cultivate too much marijuana, like more plants than you're supposed to, or those plants can be seen by the public, what's the penalty? Well, Colorado still has a felony for that. Washington has a felony for that because you can't cultivate at all. In Oregon, you have to have eight plants or more. You have to, yeah, over eight plants to get a felony. Under eight plants, a uh, Class B misdemeanor. And again, four is what you're supposed to have. In uh, Washington, D.C., too much uh, can be a felony. In Alaska, it's under 25 plants because that's their right under their uh, privacy rights in the Constitution. But over 25 plants in Alaska is a felony. Now, looking at the state's that are looking to pass legalization. Nevada has misdemeanors for the first through third uh, offenses, and it doesn't kick to a felony until the fourth offense. In Arizona, it's a felony. In Massachusetts, public view is just a $300 fine. If people can see your plants and complain about it, it's just a $300 fine. But 
if you've got more than uh, the plants you're supposed to have, $100 fine. So Massachusetts is not establishing felonies for cultivating too many plants. In Maine, too many plants will be a crime with uh, one to 10 years felony. But in California, too many plants, $250 fine. Now, uh, what about the issue of the marijuana lounges? This is something that the first four legal states have not done such a great job on. In Colorado, no uh, accommodation for any sort of public lounge, public use. But in the city of Denver, they've got an initiative on the ballot that will set up a social use permit that's approved by neighborhoods that can be used not just for lounges, but for anything they approve. You could have a, a cannabis approved yoga studio if you wanted to. So that's going on in Colorado, but they're still, you know, four years into legalization working on the issue. In Washington state, they're a felony. Here in Oregon, they're banned by the Clean Air Act. They're barely getting around to work, getting them to work in Alaska, where they are going to have some sort of pot lounge. As far as the other five states, doing a far better job. Nevada, the legislature can decide that there'll be pot lounges. In Arizona, in 2020, their legislature can decide. In Massachusetts, they can be licensed. In California, they can be allowed by localities. And in Maine... They will expressly be licensed by the state. Check us out on Marijuana Election Night 2016 right here on CannabisRadio.com. We'll have all the info for you right here. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The Vuber way. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. We're here with Sir Richard Branson. Far more damage has been done to people by the current approach. Jim McMahon. You know, a lot of the coaches are old school. You know, he used to just yell at us, go, oh, you bunch of bot smokers. John Popper on the telephone. You know, I think in the 60s there was that kind of, the bigotry wasn't so common. It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville Show is. Hey, everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Uh, I have a package here for Radical Rick. Is there a Radical Rick here? How about a Rick Russ? Any any Rick Russ? Somebody named 
Freddie Barack has sent him a package. Anybody? What is that? Sounds like a duck. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. 40 after the hour here, and want to talk a little bit about this uh, this banning of kratom. Heard about this, right? Last month, the uh, DEA placed the active ingredients of kratom, which is an herbal substance that has uh, opiate-like pain-killing effects. They placed this kratom into the emergency temporary Schedule One status. Now, Schedule One drug absolutely illegal. Uh, this kratom is derived from a tree that's native to Southeast Asia, and it's been sold in head shops now for well, years, and nobody really has given it much thought or attention. But now the stores have until the end of this month to remove the now illegal drug from their shelves. But the placement of kratom in this temporary Schedule 1 defies the DEA's own criteria for Schedule 1. There's no evidence that kratom is a drug with the serious addictive qualities to create severe psychological or physical dependence. And in comparison to other drugs in Schedule 1, kratom has relatively few users, so it doesn't seem to have a high potential for abuse. And, of course, the most important point is that Schedule 1 drugs supposedly have no currently accepted medical use. But the DEA itself acknowledged in its statements banning kratom that it has medical properties. Uh, This is, I, I pulled up the Federal Register. This is their actual quote from the DEA. Kratom has a history of being used as an opium substitute in Southeast Asia. Kratom has also been used to self-treat chronic pain and withdrawal symptoms from opioid use, especially concerning reports note users have turned to Kratom as a replacement for other opioids such as heroin. In the United States, Kratom is misused to self-treat chronic pain and opioid withdrawal symptoms, with users reporting its effects to be comparable to prescription opioids. Really? So, it can be used to treat pain... It can be used to treat withdrawal, and it's a safer drug than the heroin that they're trying to get off of, and that's not a medical use. Well, of course. Of course. The DEA's definition of no accepted medical use doesn't mean that people are using the substance successfully for medical purposes, like treating pain and overcoming opiate addiction. No, no, no. DEA means that the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, hasn't approved it for medical use. Because substances don't have medicinal properties until the FDA says so. You know, like cannabis. All those people you see it helping, it, it's, uh, it's all in your mind, man. FDA didn't say that was medicine. So the DEA, they've initiated this emergency, emergency scheduling, right? Because kratom overdoses were in the headlines. No, opiate overdoses are in the headlines. But they initiate this emergency scheduling because they say there's, quote, an imminent hazard to the public safety, end quote. Imminent hazard. Okay, imminent hazard. We're about to be overrun by kratom overdoses. There's going to be kratom junkies roaming the streets and committing crimes, right? Well, here's their backing. The DEA points to 15 deaths from 2014 to 2016. Five a year. 15 deaths 
and 660 poison control calls from 2010 to 2016 nationwide. So that's 110 um, a year. That's about nine a month, right? Nine poison control calls a month on Kratom. That's their evidence of this imminent hazard. Now, of course, their evidence is a little shaky. The 15 supposed deaths, uh, the uh, Pratum activists uh, say that has to do with interaction with other drugs that they're not mentioning, alcohol and other types of prescription drugs that were also contributors to the death in those cases. Failed to mention that part. And then if you look at other products that the DEA isn't that concerned about, you can find some that have similar death statistics, like five-hour energy drinks. You know those? Those five-hour energy shots? 13 deaths in a four-year period. 13 deaths. And also consider that like nine or ten poison calls a month across the entire U.S. over six years are far fewer calls than we get for common over-the-counter, unscheduled drugs. For example, there were 2,516 calls for caffeine overdoses in 2013 alone. (laughs) Yeah, over 200 a month for caffeine overdoses. And we're going to worry about Kratom at 9 or 10. Okay. So don't expect that the argument that Kratom is helping people is going to resonate with the DEA. We've been pointing out for decades that cannabis has medical utility and it has relative safety compared to the other drugs it replaces. That doesn't work with the DEA. In fact, when we make that argument about how it's a safer drug, DEA spokesman Melvin Patterson said, quote, what message are you saying when you say this drug is less dangerous than that drug? End quote. Without a shred of irony, that the entire existence of the organization he is speaking for is based on a Controlled Substance Act whose job it is to determine which drugs are more harmful than the others. So this Patterson, this Melvin Patterson, also, in his quote, tries to blame medical researchers for not studying Kratom before it hit Schedule 1. He said, quote, shame on everyone who wasn't researching it before. Now you start hearing stories about how it's benefiting someone suffering with arthritis. If someone can find a medical use by it, by all means, we're in favor of it, end quote. Right, by putting it into Schedule 1 where they can't study it. (laughs) Yeah, we should have studied it in advance, proven that it was medical before all these people started using it. Otherwise, the DEA has to stop them from using it because we haven't proven it's useful. And as an emergency to protect public safety, we've got to prevent researchers from studying it. That's what you're getting out of your tax dollars from the DEA. Unbelievable. So people didn't take this lying down on Tuesday. And I didn't even know there was like Kratom organizations and a Kratom movement and a Kratom community. But there is. On Tuesday, hundreds of them from all over the country who were using Kratom medically protested in front of the White House. The same exact spot in front of Lafayette Park where I met with the DCMJ guys. We protested weed in the streets. U.S. News reported on this. Here's some of the quotes from the people who who were protesting there. Quote, 
If they don't have insurance and can't afford medications, they find a cheaper alternative in Kratom. That was a store owner from Maine. Quote, Kratom saved me. I was a bad heroin addict. End quote. A man from North Carolina. A high school teacher from Virginia talks about using Kratom tea to deal with painful arthritis because, quote, he uses just enough to take the edge off so I can get through my day standing, end quote, because his prescribed opiate painkillers were too strong and addictive. So the guy can teach class. He can teach class in comfort, whereas the pharmaceuticals would leave him too doped up to be any, of any good to the students. Uh, a store, on, store owner in Colorado made his way all the way to D.C., and says his Kratom use steered him away from alcoholism. And another uh, owner, actually a a distributor of Kratom, explained how his 70-year-old Mormon father in Utah uses Kratom, saying, quote, he felt foggy, lethargic, and all he wanted to do was sit around the house. But now he's swimming, he's joined the health club, he's gardening again, his whole life has changed, end quote. So... Senior citizen Mormons are for this. <laughs> and we've got to protect the public. Now, the Washington Post reports that this protest and the follow-up comments have caught the DEA by surprise <laughs> following their ban. Uh, the very same DEA spokesperson, that Melvin Patterson we were talking about earlier, the guy who earlier in the week was dismissing all the people for the medical thing. Oh, you should have studied it earlier. This guy seems to have changed his tune. This is from uh, the Washington Post. Quote, uh, the, the Washington Post writes, the ban would automatically sunset after two years unless the DEA acts. And spokesman Melvin Patterson said he could see the agency moving Kratom from the highly restrictive Schedule 1 to the less restrictive Schedules 3 to 5 reserved for minimally addictive drugs with accepted medical use. Patterson said, quote, I don't see it being scheduled to or higher because that would be a drug that's highly addictive. Kratom's at a point where it needs to be recognized as medicine. I think we're going to find out that it, probably it does, end quote. He cautioned that research would be necessary to know how, for sure how to best regulate the drug, and it's safest to put Kratom on Schedule 1 in the meantime. Still, Patterson noted that the public response to the ban has been overwhelming. So the guy comes out and even admits it. It's prob- it needs to be recognized as medicine. Probably it does. It shouldn't be scheduled to because that would be a drug that's highly addictive. He is admitting that the placement of Kratom in Schedule 1, even on a temporary basis, flies in the face of the criteria for Schedule 1. There are thousands of people currently using Kratom in a safe, responsible manner to treat their medical conditions. Uh, But since the FDA didn't say they could do that, DEA has to protect them all by banning Kratom for two years, even as they admit that after those two years, it would probably be a drug they'd allow people to use in a safe, responsible manner to treat their medical conditions. So all you're doing with this DEA is sentencing Kratom users to two years at least of having to use ineffective, toxic, side effect laden pharmaceuticals when they could be using this herbal substance that they've been using for years without any problems from you guys or anybody else. 
Folks, the DEA's actions have nothing to do, nothing to do with protecting the safety of drug users and everything to do with protecting the profits of drug companies. Kratom's problem, like cannabis, is that it's an herb that lacks a doctor to prescribe it, a pharmacist to dispense it, an insurance company to pay for it, and a patent, a barcode, and a hefty price markup for a pharmaceutical company. All right, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll close up shop here from beautiful legal potland, Oregon. We'll get that Jesse Ventura interview posted as soon as possible as well, if you missed any of it. And I'll see you all tomorrow in Boston for the Boston Freedom Rally. Stay tuned. We're back in just two minutes. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now about a game for your phone gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Adrian, I, I, I finished it. <laughs> okay, maybe you're high too. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. Day. Just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everyone. As we wind things up, a quick reminder, I'll be in Boston this weekend at the Boston Freedom Rally. Looking forward to seeing the East Coast cannabis family. I will be speaking at uh, 115 on the uh, main stage. And then, this is Saturday. 
And then uh, at 3.30, I'm moderating a panel on jury nullification. Love that topic. Then on Sunday, I'm speaking again, uh, this time 12.30 at the bandstand. And then real quick, got to rush right over at 1.15 where I am on a panel on Reefer Madness and the media. So we'll bring you uh, recordings from Boston Freedom Rally, some of the speakers, some of the bands, some of the panels. We'll bring that on next week's shows. Got some great shows. Oh, actually, I lied. I am so sorry. I lied to my uh, chatter. Someone in the chat room was asking, will there be a show Monday? I, there won't. Sorry, there won't be a show Monday because it'll be a travel day. I'll be coming back. But uh, Tuesday through Friday next week, we'll have shows, including our marijuana election night preview uh, continues on Tuesday. We'll have another one of the representatives from the nine different states that are voting on some sort of marijuana reform. On Wednesday, uh, we've got our hemp day hump day update. We'll get Doug Fine to tell us what's going on as far as uh, marijuana uh, hemp news and the election. We've got on Thursday next week, uh, retired Deputy Sheriff Paul Stiegletter will be joining us from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. And, of course, we'll bring you all the news and the data you need to make informed decisions here as we continue throughout this legalization of marijuana. Real excited. I love going out to Boston for the Freedom Rally. The uh, bands there are amazing. It's uh, always a joy to get to see the bands that are performing. It runs noon to 8 on Saturday at the Boston Common and noon to 6 on Sunday at the Common. So if you're out there in the Boston area, make your way up. Uh, Chris Goldstein will be there for the first time in three years. Chris, of course, uh, one of my favorite East Coast activists and the man that created my, my career. He actually created the normal daily audio stash that I took over that became this show. Without him, you wouldn't have me. Chris was on federal probation for two years because he smoked a joint at the Liberty Bell in protest of uh, prohibition. And uh, yeah, smoked at the Liberty Bell and got two years probation. And that meant he couldn't go to the Boston Freedom Rally. Well, that probation is up and Chris Goldstein is back. So we're going to have ourselves a good time. I'm sure uh, uh, Mike Crawford will be out there. Mike can and uh, Lilith Astaroff, uh, that woman rocks. I can't wait to see her band playing again. Going to be a lot of fun, and I hope that uh, those of you who are on the East Coast can make your way up there. It's, what is it, 27th, 28th? It's, uh, I think it's two years older than Hemp Stocks, or Hemp Fest. So I think it's the, uh, I think that's the one. And also next weekend, we have got the uh, Portland Hemp Stock that will be taking place. Come out and join us here in Portland, Oregon next weekend. And uh, I'm working with a news crew from CBS affiliate in Fresno, California. They're going to be flying up here to Portland, and I'm going to be showing them the world of legal weed in Oregon. We're going to visit a grow. We're going to interview at a uh, pot shop. We're going to check out a little bit of the hemp stock and talk a lot about politics and tax revenue and jobs and testing and all the issues that California will be looking at over the next few years that we here in Oregon and Washington State have been working on for a while. Glad to have them up here. But of course, that sound means that we're all out of time here. Time flies when you legalize. Thanks for being here. We'll be back on Tuesday with more news and interviews you can use for the cannabis community. 
For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, we thank you for your support. Make sure you're supporting our advertisers as well. Let them know you heard it on CannabisRadio.com. I'm Radical Russ, live from beautiful legal potland, Oregon. Thanks for being here. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you